Hey everybody, welcome back to the Way Ramen Podcast. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. We're talking to Brian McDuxton, also known as Ramen Adventures on the internet. Brian is a legend to many of us Western ramen fans as he was a pioneer in creating ramen content for folks like us outside of Japan. Well before I made my first bowl of ramen at home, I was actually watching Brian's videos on YouTube. Because of the sheer amount of ramen bowls that he's crushed over the years, Brian's not just respected outside of Japan, but he's also well respected amongst Japanese ramen enthusiasts as well. He's been featured in countless TV shows and programs, he's written columns for magazines about ramen, and he's also published books about ramen in English and Japanese. Like I said, he's truly a legend to many of us, and I was so happy to be able to connect with him in this episode. We talk about how he got started on his ramen adventure, as well as how he ended up hanging out in Japan with some other greats like Keizo Shimamoto and Ivan Orkin. We also talk about some of his most memorable bowls, some of the worst bowls he's ever eaten, and also what he's up to now with his ramen tours. So without further ado, here is Mr. Ramen Adventures himself, Mr. Brian McDuxton. So could we start off with you um, just introducing who you are and um, how you kind of got into ramen? Yeah, I'm Brian McDuxton. I came to Japan in uh, summer of 2006, I think, 2007, 2006, I don't really remember. And I came here to teach English. And basically, at one point, I just had a good bowl of ramen and started a blog about it. That was, was, that, super- <laughs> was that first bowl of ramen like that transformational for you where you wanted to write about it after the first experience? Or like, how did you get into you know, that? You know? Well, this was back in the days of blogging. Uh-huh. So there's no Instagram, uh, really no YouTube, nothing yeah. like that. And I was already blogging. I, I have a blog called Japan Bash that I haven't written on in a long time, but I was writing on it. And so, you know, I was kind of into searching out things and taking photos and writing about it. Uh-huh. And this ramen shop I went to, you know, it was really good, and the huge there was a huge line. So I'm kind of interested in what's going on here. Why is why does this shop have this huge line? Uh, why are people obsessed about it? What's going on? I really have no idea. Uh-huh. And at the time, there was very little in the way of English language information about ramen. Oh yeah, I could, you can say it, that it, even now, <laughs> today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You know, at the time, uh, guidebooks were, you know, just as bad as they are today, varying levels of, of usefulness. There were a couple English language blogs. Uh, there was this like ramen Tokyo guy who was very geared towards heavy Jiro style ramen. Oh, I see, I see. There was um, Keizo's Go Ramen blog. Yeah. He was based in Los Angeles, so you know he wasn't really writing about particularly a lot of shops in Japan. Mm-hmm. It was this guy Nate who had a Ramenate, who had this <laughs> incredible, incredible blog. Um, he's back in New York now, but uh-huh. so I'm really not a lot in the way of English language, and I didn't really speak much Japanese at the time, uh-huh. so I just kind of started trying to find ramen shops. I think I found, you know, if you spend any time in Japan, you know that Japanese television is just full of food content. Mm-hmm. It's such a big part of their culture. The Japanese it's, culture is food. Yeah. 
and especially and like ranking ranking is another part. <laughs> things ranked uh-huh. uh, and i found i did find this uh i think it was tbs tokyo broadcast that did some show where they ranked like the top 20 ramen shops and i found something online that had a list of names and addresses and that was enough for me to kind of go off of and kind of get my journey started so did you get like did you write that first blog post and you got a little bit of traction so you decided to go more into that or is it just like the first experience was such a cool experience you just wanted to share that more what was the, the oh, i guess no tra- oh. oh no traction uh, at all just all the interest in ramen and you just wanted to pursue that well i remember i posted it on my regular blog uh-huh. and then i started going to more shops and i kept posting on my regular blog and friends mm-hmm. of mine were commenting saying dude What's all this ramen garbage, man? We want to see pictures <laughs> of Japan. Like, this is yeah. boring. So that's when I started Ramen Adventures. Ah, I see. Ramen blog. What year was that? Uh, is it, was it 2006 or was it a little bit after that? Or? That was 2008. I think my posts start in like October of 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but I still didn't have any traction. I didn't promote it. I didn't. I've never been good at promotion at all. Uh So I think what happened was I just, I just loved it. I was enjoying it. I mean, I wasn't trying to make a blog for money. I wasn't trying to do it as part of this, you know, to be an influencer before that word existed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I was loving it. You know, at that time uh, I was hanging out a lot with Nate from Ramenate and Keizo actually moved to Japan to work for different ramen shops. So I was hanging out with him all the time. And it's just, I had these really cool ramen buddies and we were crushing bowls all over the place. It was super fun. And I was just loving it. What kind of boosted everything was I got a call from this writer at the New York Times. Oh, wow. Matt Gross, and he was the frugal traveler at the time. And he was doing a piece that was like one week in Tokyo eating nothing but ramen. And ramen culture, which seemed cool. So actually, I didn't even really know. uh, I knew what the New York Times was, obviously, but I didn't know that it was like a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like the the biggest newspaper pretty much in the U.S. right. I remember uh, I was helping out Ivan Ramen at this Skamen event. Mm-hmm. And me and Keizo and Nate were all there just sort of helping him out on the weekend because this event was really busy. And I go up to these guys and I'm like, yeah, this dude from the New York Times like wants me to help him out with, <laughs> with something. Should I do it? What's up? And you, know, you see their jaws just drop. <laughs> Crazy, of course. So that piece ended up being very large. They actually made it into kind of a travel section cover story. Oh, wow. And that's a, yeah, that's crazy. Cause that's like, not to get you off track, but you know, you, Keizo and Ivan are kind of like three of the, I'll call four gods of Western ramen culture, you know, like <laughs> the, the Mike being the, like the fourth pillar of that. But the three of you just hanging out in Japan together, it's kind of like pretty crazy for me to think about. Yeah, well, this was back when, you know, Ivan had just opened his shop. Uh, I think he opened it in 2007 
I think six or seven. Wow. So he was relatively new. He was this kind of darling of the ramen scene out here. And he was doing all this media all the time. And yeah, it was fun. I mean, you know, in the end, he's just like this nice guy who totally was down with us working for him for free on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, we were hyped for this experience. It was super cool. Oh, that's and pretty it, awesome. I was going to Ivy Roman all the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't far from where I was living. And he used to do all these limited bowls. It's like uh -huh. every month he'd have a new Gente, a new limited bowl. So I'd try and go there every month for that at least. And yeah, it was fun. And this um this exposure in New York Times definitely, you know, kind of uh drew the initial draw to to my site and it also kind of reflected the interest in english language speakers outside of japan in ramen and within japan as well that's so crazy i mean like i mean they say that all the time you know like you don't know who's watching and you don't know who's reading but True. just like complete serendipity that's all this that's that's freaking awesome how many bowls of ramen do you think you've eaten all together in your time in japan Oh, that's tough. I've blogged about, I think I'm at around 13 or 1400. Oh yeah, a lot, but I only write about each shop once basically. I started keeping track a few years ago, like my yearly count. I think it's, let's see, 2016 was 306 balls, 2017, 327, 2018, 327. This year is kind of uh, slow, so I think I might, maybe I'll get to 300. <laughs> you still got a couple of days left to get to 300, so. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I burned myself out last month. I went uh -huh. to Kyushu for about three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to, uh, I did about 20 different shops That's on this great. trip. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, in Kyushu, it's tough to get away from that creamy, oh, that creamy and it for me man i ain't getting any younger and <laughs> yeah i, I got you mean. it comes to the i can lead a lot of uh like a lot of nice refined shoyu ramen mm -hmm. but yeah that that tonkotsu is rough so kind of detoxing a little bit although this <laughs> week i have a lot of ramen tours actually which is something we can talk about later so yeah yeah forced to eat uh a few bowls this week <laughs> forced to yeah what a life um so that's kind of like one of the questions that came in from the from instagram was what was the best bowls in kagoshima and kumamoto that you had while you were there uh well this time let's see i actually kumamoto was the not kumamoto kagoshima mm -hmm. was the one prefecture i didn't really have enough time to go oh, to I i'd planned it because I had enough time to do this nice sort of loop. Yeah, yeah. But then I got a call from a buddy who was like, hey, I'm coming to Fukuoka. We got seats for sumo. Oh, nice. I love sumo. And then the next day, we're going to fly to Tokushima to go to like a geisha house. <laughs> oh, nice. My buddy's a baller. So, you know, it's like all this crazy stuff I covered. So I was like, all right, I'll be there. So yeah. <laughs> I was awesome. just of, uh, of Kagoshima and then I jetted up to Fukuoka and um, 
had some fun for a few days. Nice. So I didn't get to really hit up Kagoshima, except for this one shop, sort of in the northern part, called mm-hmm. something something Araki. And in the middle of nowhere, like you, you have to drive. It's, it's just no, no train you, access or anything. Yeah, I mean, there might be some local train that takes you somewhere mm-hmm. to get there. But this guy, he made sort of a traditional Kagoshima ramen, but hits it with almonds. Oh. Like ground almonds and almond paste, almond oil. And it's in this, feels like kind of this countryside house. Real mm. neat, man. Real, real cool experience. That's that was fun. Cool. Yeah. I have some. I have a, wait, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Kagoshima is like a, it's a funky town for ramen because suddenly, you know, you get south and they're still using pork, but it's really light. It's really watery. It's super cheap. Like how culture, cheap? Like 400 yen. Oh my God. Four about five bucks for a pork. Yeah, yeah. Places open late. It's more like you've already been eating pork all day. It's mm-hmm. down there. They're real famous for this Berkshire pork, this Kurobuta. Uh-huh. So you're already, you've already been eating a bunch of pork and drinking. So now you need this kind of light bowl. But it's still got to be pork. So. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, can't get away from that pork. <laughs> kind of segues really nicely into these other questions that I got in. A lot of people are really interested in what's the weirdest uh bowl of ramen than you that you you've ever eaten like i got a couple questions from the um ryan wants ramen and and um nama japan tv asks it wants me to ask you about the piranha ramen that you had so i guess what's the weirdest bowl that you've ever had in japan or just in general and then can you please also talk about the piranha ramen experience i mean that piranha one was pretty weird (laughs) (laughs) the weirdest bowl Mm, i remember there is this one this one shop out on the east side of Tokyo, I believe it's been closed for a while now, but they did an ice cream ramen. An ice cream? Was, I, how do you do ice cream ramen? Well, it's basically a cold bowl of shoyu ramen. And then they take, they sell these ice cream cones at a convenience store. Uh-huh. It's sort of this all-in-one cone with the soft serve on it. And he took one of those cut it in half, put it on top of the ramen, sprinkled it with nori, and that, that was it. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Was it, was it, it any good? Very, no, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was not good. It might have been good if the ramen was hot, actually, uh-huh. because then you get that contrast. Yeah, yeah. Well, the story with this was that just some local kids, like he sold this ice cream at his shop, and some uh-huh. local kids coming home from school, they'd get ramen and some ice cream. Uh-huh. And one kid was, you know, kind of being cheeky. It was like, I want the the ice cream in my ramen. <laughs> so all right, here you go. And he did it. And then, of course, like all the kids are going to order that. Yeah, yeah. Of course. So he put it on the menu. And yeah, it sort of became this this thing. Yeah, that was a long time ago. But that was kind of a fun one. <laughs> yeah, that's it really shows, you know, like, for for sushi in Japan and other things like tempura and stuff, I kind of got into this with other guests, but there's such a reverence for the art form of those foods. And then you come to ramen and it's like, ah, oh, no, anything goes, you know, it really seems like even in Japan, there's no hard and fast rules, you know? Yeah. No, nothing at all. Ramen's new. It's, you know, 
50, 60 years old. And, uh-huh. and even ramen apart from that sort of old school Chuka Soba style, that's only, you know, 30 years old, maybe. Uh-huh. The idea of, of any sort of kodawari, any sort of like gourmet. Um, there's always been like, of course, attention to detail, but any sort of sort of gourmet ingredients or, mm-hmm. or you know, these, all these gentes and whatnot. It's relatively, it's relatively new concept. So yeah, anybody can do whatever you want. Yeah. No, no one in Japan cares. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've seen some videos online where um, they, they show like Americans making sushi, like really high quality sushi, you know, like mm-hmm. they're trying their best to emulate Japan. And the comments from Japanese people are just brutal. Like that's not real sushi, you know. It's like, you know, but like with ramen, nobody cares. I always find that so funny. But you're right; it's a really new style of food, so they can't really be traditionalist yet. There's no such thing as a ramen traditionalist. So, right. Yeah. And then you know, you do have. If you ever uh, talk to like some old dude from, you know, from Yokohama or something, mm-hmm. you show him a picture of some new bowl of like super refined. Uh, show you ramen sometimes they'll just be like that ain't ramen how much is <laughs> like oh 1100 yen like no yeah, ramen yeah. cannot be more than 500 yen. five dollars yeah like it's food for the people you know it's not haute cuisine or anything exactly have you seen like a big shift in culture in japan as far as like ramen like what people the taste that people want to taste or the types of bowls that people want to be eating like you said you started in 2006 and it's 2020 in a few days so have you yeah, seen like right. any kind of shifts? Well, you know, around 2007, 2008 was the big uh, Tonkotsu Gyokai boom. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, maybe the first time that there was this really new style that took hold. You know, before that, Gyokai wasn't really, didn't really exist even. That's right. You know, the idea of, of making a thing, we had the, uh, um, you know, we had the, the Taishokin style scanon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. More of a clear broth flavor with a lot of vinegar. But then you had, you know, ganja, ganja up in Saitama. They kind of invented this style with, with a heavy pork broth and they were grinding their own different dried fish they were grinding their own into a powder adding it in thickening it up then of course that's up in saitama so you know nobody goes to saitama <laughs> so from tokyo from tokyo I tried this and we're like wow this is incredible so they started recreating it that was when rokurinsha of of extreme ramen fame kind of was inspired by this ganja style ramen and created their own version of it down in Tokyo, which sort of created this boom. Mm. What about now? Is it still that popular or is it kind of shifted more towards like, you know, like Mike talks about, Mike um, Sadanova talks about the new, new wave shoyu ramens and things like that. Has the taste shifted more towards those clean refined bowls or is it still just as popular though? Tonkotsu gyokai, thick, heavy tsukimens. No, I'd say there's been kind of a long trend of those refined shoyus and shios for the last uh, few, you know, four or five years. Oh, okay. It seems like a lot of 
really excellent shops in that style have been opening. And you're you're yeah. based in Tokyo, right? So you're kind of yeah. getting access to all these things. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. No, I try to go to I try to go to all of them. <laughs> it's rough. I mean, there are a lot of uh, ramen <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. Something I, like 15, 20 shops open a month. Are you serious? You know, How- yeah, it's bonkers. Are they are all these shops that are opening, you know, 15 to 20 a month, are they all like people that are passionate about making ramen or are they just like people that are trying to open a chain just to because they have a space they find a space and like oh, i can make ramen and make some money here like what is it like yeah. in japan that 15 that? to 20 and also you know the numbers on for example tabe log which is the japanese mm-hmm. kind of food you know kind of like yelp i guess yelp, yeah, yeah and tabe log all the shops that are listed in the ramen category it just means that they serve ramen so oh, this is including um chinese restaurants and of course, all the chains. So that 15 to 20 is kind of, you know, it's not 15 to 20, like incredible shots that oh, I, I have to go to, but it's places that, that do ramen. So, you know, of that, I'd say, you know, maybe there's like three or four that that would appeal to me <laughs> and another three or four that, you know, if, I was, if I'm in the area, maybe I want to try it out. Okay. Do you, do you try to like hit up like new shops as soon as they open? Like, is that kind of what you do or...? Or do you like wait for like the reviews to come in and then you check it out? No, I definitely try. I'm not maniacal about it, although uh-huh. I probably that should be my New Year's resolution to be a little more maniacal about it. But yeah, I have a I have a hit list in Tokyo of probably thirty more shops uh-huh. that I need to go to. My list around Japan is is very large. Uh-huh. Of, want to go to it just matter you know i can't i can't crush bowls like uh, a lot of these other guys yeah I, I i watch some of the people that go to japan they're eating like 30 bowls in 10 days and i, I can't do that that's yeah that's I mean, mike, too much went, for me. mike went to sapporo recently and <laughs> yeah. more than more than 15 but maybe 20 different spots he hit up i don't know yeah in like 10 days or something yeah it's yeah crazy. yeah and some of these other guys, you know, Ramen Beast, Abram, he's, uh, he can do that. He'll do like three or four in a day. Like when he travels, he'll, he'll go all in. Uh-huh. But I just can't, to be honest, if I do more than two in a day, uh-huh. I don't know. I feel like my palate just gets destroyed and I'm just not really. That's true. Anymore. Yeah, that's true. Because you, you, especially if you're, you're, well, there's both both sides, right? Like if you're trying to taste the really nuanced stuff, you can get palate fatigue from that because you're trying so hard to taste every all the flavors. And if you go at the other end and you're just bombing your gut with heavy tonkotsu, that's kind of taxing too. So <laughs> <laughs> either way, that that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. I've seen you, I've seen some videos of you where you're like judging competitions. You know, like I think you had a video about that. Was it a year uh, or two ago? Yeah, I judged an Ikudo competition it was a while back yeah maybe three or four years ago how did you get like all these you know and you and i'm i have a question about how many tv shows have you been on from ramen onegai so i'm assuming that you've been on quite a few if someone's going to ask you a question like that like how do you how did it did it go from the new york times article to these people in japan started contacting you or like how did it happen where you're being invited now to to judge the ipudo um you know, like craft ramen competition and things like that. 
Sure. I guess my media presence, it started after the New York Times thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened? Some, there's some magazine in Japan that basically translates foreign articles. Huh. And they contacted me because they were translating that article about ramen and they wanted any photos that I had okay. to put into it just because New York Times is probably going to charge them a ton for photos. <laughs> so I actually had a lot of photos of the writer. So, you know, I sold those to the publication and then that's when Japanese media kind of discovered me, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I've, yeah, I've done kind of news segments and ramen corners quite a lot. I don't know, maybe once a month, once every two months. I have had some gigs that were recurring, like a weekly, a weekly corner in a TV show, something like that. I also worked for this magazine called Weekly Playboy sort of like a men's magazine in Japan. And me and Abram, Ramen Beast, we were the Ramen Americans. And we had our own we had our own corner. So we had our own full page sort of piece every week for wow. oh man, like two years, two and a half years. Did you have to write in Japanese too? It was written in kind of conversation format. Uh-huh. So basically we would meet with the writer over over drinks at like an izakaya and just talk and he oh, would make notes and then he would sort of take liberties with um, our japanese and kind of gave gave me like a a learned tokyo tone of voice <laughs> uh-huh. this funky osaka style <laughs> yeah that's yeah was a, that was a good one. that was good for good for japanese is is abram like based in osaka is that why they do that or was it just like oh i think it'd be funny to give them contrasting accents and uh um... yeah, it's just that you know he actually he lives like uh, a couple blocks away from me <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious maybe they're like they won't know they won't know that we're giving them the giving this guy the osaka accent oh, or yeah. something yeah that's hilarious. Oh, so this is kind of leads into this other question that I got. I'm trying to mix in the questions because I got a, kind of a lot of questions from listeners. Sure, and sure. I know you have a, you know, we have an hour together. So I just want to mix their questions in too. So Andre, Andre uh, Key asks, have you ever faced any racial issues or prejudices as being a popular foreign uh, celebrity, like kind of foreigner celebrating ramen in Japan or Japanese food in general? Hmm. I wouldn't say nothing like nothing like hard racism, nothing that really brings me down. But I do, you know, I of course know that I'm not at the level of these Japanese ramen critics or Japanese ramen hunters. And I think the fact that I'm a foreigner, I get, you know, I sort of get a little bit special treatment, you know. I just became part of Ramen Walker magazine. Oh, wow. So I'm one of the kind of panels of, of dudes on Ramen Walker. And, you know, these other guys are, they've eaten, you know, 20,000 bowls. They eat a thousand bowls a year. Uh-huh. Uh, their whole life is ramen. You know, so these are like hardcore dudes. Uh-huh. And here I am and, you know, I'm barely scratching the surface. <laughs> kind of my, my level of, of 
Robin insanity out here. There's a lot of just like normal dudes who are, who do what I do, like as far as <laughs> probably eating yeah. the There's a lot of, you know, I met some, I met some college kid. Uh-huh. like, I like, I was like, oh, how many do you have? He's like, oh, I have about a thousand bowls. I go to about 600 shops a year, eat about a thousand bowls a year. That's crazy. Like, that's crazy. Like, are you some sort of, you know, YouTuber or, or writer uh-huh. or he's like, no, I just like Roman. Okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> That's so crazy. So, are you um, friends with any of these Japanese kind of like ramen? I don't even what's the, what's the term for someone who's like that in Japan? Yoronka. Is that it's what like it's called? Crit- yeah, that's. But that's kind of sounds kind of snooty, you know. There's like, you could say ramen hunter, like a ramen oh, hunter. Okay. Yeah. Um. There's the. You know, it's ramen otaku raota. Uh-huh. Oh, they actually use that word for that too. Oh, that's pretty cool. They do, although I've gotten into it with with some people who I would consider raota, and they're like, no, raota <laughs> is someone who only eats ramen. Uh, not someone who eats a thousand bowls a year. It's someone who d- doesn't eat anything but ramen. There's a difference, I guess. Well, to be raota, you have to do. You have to be crazy about it. So it's a thousand uh-huh. bowls of a thousand different shops traveling around ramen but it's also only ramen yeah that's great what i hear from people who don't want to be called raota mm-hmm. so I, it's kind of like I a think, derogatory term or something yeah you know it could be <laughs> <laughs> one of those nuances of japanese language uh, are you are you friends with any of those people like you know like you guys get together and like yeah. i know you hang with abram and stuff but like I, it's such a hard um kind of thing for me to like wrap my head around i guess with someone who's like not in japan like i'm ethnically japanese but i fourth generation so i grew up in america and everything you know it's like to think about that there's people out there in japan that are just eating that that amount of ramen every day or every year it's just kind of crazy for me to think about but i guess i is is there anything equivalent in america you know like any kind of cuisine cuisine where people are like that in america i can't even think of anything where it's like someone who only eats hamburgers i guess maybe with the co- the closest or something sure. yeah i mean there's there are people in the states who are kind of focused on a, on a cuisine mm-hmm. when it comes as far as in like the media world or writing books mm-hmm. but i think the idea of tabe aruki which mm-hmm. you know like food hunting or traveling specifically for food I think it's huge in Japan, like as compared to anywhere else in the world. I think it's, it's like a legit hobby. You know, if you ask someone what your hobbies and they say, Oh, tabiaruki, and you're like, Oh, I totally get it. Nobody's yeah. question it. Yeah. What is that? What is, what is like, there's no, none of that questions. Like in America, if you were to tell someone like, Oh yeah, I go and hunt for my hobbies, like to go and hunt for like things to eat. <laughs> right. And when people travel, you know, food is, super super important you know, local uh-huh. local food and locality and and seasonality so all mm-hmm. of these things they play a really important part in just sort of the main idea of of eating and traveling in japan of course it plays an important part anywhere you know of course people want to eat good food whenever they travel but in japan it's like next level you know it's really people really go all out and it's kind of for a lot of people, the most important part 
of any kind of travel. Yeah, I can see that. Like I, I'm in Hawaii, so I see. Well, the island that I live on, there's not too many Japanese tourists that come here because nobody speaks Japanese here. But on Oahu, I see them getting pancakes. Like evidently in Japan, pancakes <laughs> are Hawaiian. You know, it's kind of like a weird thing that we don't have the connection for that. And they go it's eat Mark- local, they eat loco moco and pancakes, and they're taking pictures of those things. And it's like that was on their to do list when they're in Hawaii to eat a pancake for some reason. Hundred yeah. percent. It's to go to the the haunted of eggs and things. Go to the main. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On in Oahu on, on uh-huh. that strip that it's completely empty, just just shitty diner and yep. <laughs> all these Japanese people are like this is the. <laughs> this. Yeah, it's such a crazy thing, like you know, because <laughs> pancakes is like there's nobody in Hawaii that grew up in Hawaii that thinks, oh, name some local some Hawaiian food. There's not one single person who would say pancakes, and it's like such a ubiquitous. Like it's the connection with between Hawaii and pancakes. In Japan is so strong that. It's kind of hilarious. Like we, uh, we would drive past eggs and things when I lived on Oahu and there'd always be like a line of Japanese tourists. And I like, ask my cousin, like, what's going on there? And they're like, it's like, I don't know. Like Japanese people just really like that place. But uh, yeah, I guess there's like a really strong connection to that. Local Moko too is kind of a weird one, but. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's that, it's that casual, that casual gourmet, that BQ gourmet. That's, uh, uh-huh. it's stronger than ever in Japan. People oh, want really? to eat local casual food you know all over the world that people are really really into it oh that's interesting and you know when you travel around japan everywhere you go has you know their famous local dishes their famous cheap dishes and uh, i love it i mean i hit up as much as i can as well when it comes to not just ramen but all those local local cheap delicacies Mm -hmm. what's your favorite food in japan Uh outside of ramen like what if you're not eating ramen like what do you hit up i mean i think sushi is kind of like the pinnacle of cuisine in the mm-hmm. world i think it's it's just such a simple basic thing but it can be elevated to this level where you know each bite is just this in, incredible experience and, uh-huh. and so you know definitely sushi is something that i'm uh, a big fan of you could say uh yeah sushi's sushi is like I, i'm not even sure like i've eaten really really high quality sushi i've been to japan and i've eaten sushi in japan and that was phenomenal but i haven't i've never spent you know like those 400 you know kind of like meals in japan yet so i'm sure i haven't yes, experienced you know that that level of sushi where it's life-changing it's rough, you know, you, you get to this price point and there's all these shops that you, you can't reserve them. It's, and even if you can, you know, it's a six month, one year waiting list for <laughs> new customers to come. It's a, it's a real, it's a real wild scene out there when it comes to sushi, high end sushi, especially. I always kind of make the comparison, you know, like sushi in America and when I talk to Mike and I talk to some other people about what they think ramen can do in America, like, you know, they're, cause the American palette for ramen right now, it's heavy tonkotsus with 20 toppings, you know, you're putting corn and kimchi and chili oil and just like a, it's not a design bowl at all. And nice. uh, the corn, the corn on the ramen. <laughs> yeah. The corn on the, the corn on the tonkotsu ramen. And I just had a, um, I did an interview with a, a guy in Australia and I asked him what it's like in Australia. And he's like, oh, heavy tonkotsu and 
corn and I guess corn on ramen is kind of like a standard outside of Japan. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I'm kind of yeah, wondering I, what, what you think as someone who's been eating so much ramen in Japan, like where ramen can go outside of Japan, you know, like if it can get to the level of where people are appreciating these very refined bowls of, you know, the kodawari bowls of like shoyu ramen, shio ramen, or is it just going to be because Westerners like these huge flavors and this, like that mouthfeel and the impact of tonkotsu that that's kind of what it's going to be, you know, like general souls chicken is still a thing in America, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, that the butter corn ramen, man, I think uh, everyone has different theories about it. And, uh, you know, I listened to Mike talk about, uh, you know, his, his theories about it up there. But my theory is that, so children in Japan love butter corn ramen. They love it as a topping, like little kids. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe, you know, the, the Western palate is still it's very youthful and, mm-hmm. and childish and they're just looking for these fun flavors. So, you know, they're embracing that for now. But get that away from me, man. I'm not, not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You mean you don't like kimchi and butter corn on your tonkotsu ramen with the uh, Sapporo style noodles? Because that's kind of like the standard, I guess, outside yeah. of Japan. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with a little kimchi in the ramen yeah. sometimes. Like... I've had some very good bowls with, with kimchi. Is that a topping? Uh, is that a topping of choice now in ramen shops in Japan? Like, have they been experimenting with that? It's not a topping of choice, but some places offer it. Oh, interesting. Uh, if you want to, this is a question you asked earlier about the weirdest bowl of ramen I've had. Uh-huh. I just I just remembered it now. There's one in Morioka City in the north of Japan. Mm-hmm. They do a. Let me see if I can remember this. It's a natto rare cheese kimchi miso. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but uh, it, how, how did oh, it taste? <laughs> so I, I was up in Morioka and I have a buddy up there, local tattoo artist, and he took me here. He's like, this is a famous shop. And rare cheese is basically like, uh, how do I describe rare cheese? Like a very soft, like a yogurty cheese like yeah. a creme fraiche almost so it's not though this fermented beans fermented soybeans and uh, this creme fraiche and miso and kimchi and you mix it all up and, you're like, and it was so good like i was into it hardcore really but i thought like all right you know maybe this is a fluke i don't know what's going on and at the time i was uh, doing that article in weekly playboy so we have our meeting and i come out you guys i had this bowl and both Ramen Beast and the writer, they look at me like, you're crazy. That sounds disgusting. Like, yeah. what's wrong with you? So I swept under the rug. And then I think last year or two years ago, there's this anime in Japan, this manga called um, Ramen Daisuke Koizumi-san. Oh, there's, about a, there's a manga high- about a ramen person that loves ramen? It's about this high school girl who uh-huh. loves ramen. And it's basically a ramen manga anime and it's incredible because it uses actual shops and actual information what was the name of that that i'm sorry i cut you off what was the name of that manga again uh it's ramen daisuke koizumi-san okay or i think in english it's koizumi loves ramen Uh or koizumi-san loves ramen but i was watching the anime and 
she takes a road trip up north and she goes to that one <laughs> brushes that bowl and the uh the author the writer who writes this manga she's uh she's like a hardcore ramen nerd so mm. i was it's like in the end vindicated <laughs> bowl was legit <laughs> <laughs> do you do you enjoy um making ramen too or are you more like into eating i know you've i've seen the videos where you do the classes and you go to the schools and stuff and you've had like men show on you know your your youtube channel and things sure. are you interested in making ramen as well or more just about the experience of eating it so short answer not really mm-hmm. uh it's such you know that soup is so labor intensive yeah. and it's so much time and uh, I like making the toppings at home. Mm-hmm. I love making some eggs, some chashu, things like that, that I can just snack on. Uh, and I mean, I probably shouldn't say this because, well, you know, I wrote a, released a cookbook yeah. last year uh, called Ramen at Home. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's sort of like simple recipes that the home cook can use. Worked with one of the ramen schools out here to mm-hmm. develop the recipe. But for me, I don't really like eating ramen at home that much it's kind of like if you're in japan there's no reason for you to make it because you're surrounded by phenomenal ramen shops all over the place so it's kind of like yeah i feel like in america and outside of japan it's more of we we do it more out of a necessity to eat good ramen because it's just not available i'm kind of i'm a real stickler for noodles have to be eaten right away Mm -hmm. you know the ramen all the ramen nerds in japan the kind of number everyone agreed on is eight minutes in that as soon as ramen noodles go into that soup, they've been cooked, they've been, uh, they've been strained. They're in the soup. You got eight minutes till they're, till they're gone basically. Huh. Or else they're ruined. Is it like they get too soggy or something? Yeah. 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 They, cause ramen noodles, you know, they have this interesting sort of chemical composition mm-hmm. that, allows them to draw in soup whereas mm-hmm. other noodles, pasta doesn't really soak up soup mm-hmm. that's why you know every bite of noodles is this explosion of, of soupy flavor so when you cook at home you know you plate your bowl and then you don't want to run and, and crush it right away like you've worked so hard and for me uh, it's kind of this this thing that you know every once in a while have some fun with it but yeah really uh it's tough tough for home that's really true like it i never really thought of it that way but it it's almost like an ephemeral experience you know like if you and if you make the ramen at home it really is like two days worth of work for eight minutes of you know like eating it's gotta you think about it that's really the the optimum way to consume ramen so i think about that i saw that i I thought that was funny though in one of the latest videos you posted about whatever ramen school you're at I saw Guy uh-huh. Dela, I saw Guy Delamo in there, and I was like, "Dude, I I swear that's Guy Delamo!" Like, because I went to school with him. You um, went to school with Guy. He's from Hawaii, and we went to school yeah. um in Oregon together at, at this uh, small college called Pacific University. Yeah, and and when I was watching your videos, I was like, "I swear that's Guy Delamo!" And I heard, and as soon as I heard him talk, I was like, "That's guarantee Guy!" And and uh, so I asked you in the comments, and you're like, "Yeah, that's him!" Like, what was he doing at a at a ramen school? Because he was fighting for a while, you know. I know that he was uh. It is, yeah. MMA for a while, and but is he is he trying to open up a ramen shop? No, I should just ask him maybe. But <laughs> you know, yeah, kind of. No, he's just he's been one of my uh, one of my best friends for about ten years. 
Oh, really? How yeah. did you meet Guy? Uh, through mutual friends. And, you know, you meet in Japan, whenever you meet someone who does something interesting, uh -huh. it's great. And, you know, I meet this guy who's like, oh, yeah, I'm having an MMA fight next week. Uh -huh. Come on through. So, you know, go see some MMA. And, yeah, he's a cool guy. So we've been hanging for a while. I'm probably going to meet up with him tonight or tomorrow, actually. Oh, so. yeah, cool. Tell him I said what's up. But, yeah, I work with these with these ramen schools, you know, I kind of dip my foot in any sort of ramen mm -hmm. thing that I can out here. And one of those was these professional ramen schools. So I work with two, I work with one in Osaka and one in Tokyo. And, you know, basically they have these incredible schools for Japanese people, like training you, basically giving you the stuff you need before you open your shop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first I worked with this one in Osaka and I approached them and said, Hey, let's, let's create like a one day class for tourists uh -huh. that they can come and make an entire bowl from scratch in one day. And, you know, they're using these pressure cookers, so you can definitely achieve a creamy soup Yeah, yeah, yeah. within a short amount of time. And yeah, it's been tons of fun, you know, hooking people up with these classes Recently, though, people are more interested in long classes because they want to open their own shop. It's kind of seen as a rite of passage or, you know, sort of a definite, definite good investment is to come to Japan and take like a week long or 10 day class. Uh -huh. So do you, do you try to like help them uh, find students overseas, like people that don't necessarily speak Japanese and help them market in that sense? Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of um, connecting it. And, you know, I make sure that there's going to be an English language interpreter present uh -huh. and, and, you know, any sort of questions, requests they have, I sort of make sure that they can do that and sort of act as support. Every once in a while, I'll come to these classes too. I mean, they're yeah. a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Is the, is the average person that goes to those, um, those classes and stuff, are they like experienced in the culinary field or do you see like a lot of them that just like, I'm a lawyer and I, I want to completely change my career path now and become a ramen shop owner. Like what's the, what, what kind of people go to these classes? I guess I'm kind of wondering. Yeah, there have been a few people who are like that, like in finance or a lawyer, uh -huh. they, want, they want to give it up. They've saved a bunch of money. So you do get some people like that. You get some people who actually we get a lot of people who already have a ramen shop overseas, but, mm -hmm you know, they kind of realize that their ramen isn't great or they come to Japan and eat some ramen. And, <laughs> you know, they, they do a little, they look in the mirror and say, man, <laughs> I'm serving garbage. So, you know, they come to these classes and learn some techniques. You know, there's a lot of ramens, a lot of technique, a lot of timing, a lot of temperature control when mm -hmm. it comes to those soups. Things like dashi, you know, all these amino acids that are drawn out of foods that create all that umami, you know, it's really, it's temperature. Like you hit this optimum temperature for this many minutes and it draws out, you know, a hundred percent of the amino acids. And I think in the West, a lot of the soups are, I think someone said this on your podcast before, but just throw a bunch of stuff in a pot and, boil the hell out of it and strain it and now you yeah. gotta do well i think even like in the west i think majority of the shops evidently i didn't know this either but 
they're just using like these pre-made soup stocks that come from Japan. I guess they sell these things. I had no idea, but according to Mike and every single person on my podcast so far has said, Oh yeah, that's what majority of these shops outside of Japan are using. So uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> oh yeah. You can buy ramen concentrate in a can. Oh, oh really? Um, okay. Like restaurant, restaurant size cans and mm-hmm. just, you know, dump it in with, with water and, boil it up and you're ready for service sure you see that in japan too or is that a strictly like western thing i feel like i feel like it you would kind of almost have to have some of those things in japan too because yeah you see yeah a lot of places that serve ramen as well as other foods Ah, i see i see that makes sense they're gonna do something like that like a chinese foods a chinese food shop will also serve ramen i see yeah, I mean, you just get these concentrated cans of mm-hmm. chemicals. and <laughs> But, you know, it's uh, for a lot of people, ramen isn't, it doesn't need to be this fine dining, you know, these uh, sourced chickens from Akita with this craft soy sauce from Wakayama mm-hmm. with, you know, this secret ingredient. It doesn't need to be that for a lot of people. A lot of people, they grew up, ramen is, it's cheap, it's good, it's full of umami. So you're going to enjoy it. I mean, it's, you know, stock full of MSG <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's fine. Um, that's, that's what it is. You know, yeah. it's like, it's a comfort food. Like it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's definitely. Fun. I mean, like the history of it, like born, like kind of took off after world war two because everybody was starving and it was cheap mm-hmm. and easily available and tasted good because of the MSG or all these other things. But I, I also find that funny because I get comments on some of my videos are like, Oh, MSG, th- no thanks. You know? And it's like, you're probably eating it. You probably just don't know that you're eating it because it has a lot of names in America, you know, like, like what do they call it? Yeast extract. And they have a bunch of different names for it, but they mask it, you know, but in Japan, uh, it, it doesn't seem like a much of a problem if someone says like, Oh yeah, we have um, umami chomirio in this or something like that. You know, people are like, whatever. It's good. Yeah. You know? No one, honestly, no one cares out here. Yeah, yeah. And I read this great article in this, there's this Japanese foodie magazine called rice. Mm-hmm. awesome thing like it's in english and japanese but there was this article about and about how ramen is is a fake food and it was a great article because the roots of ramen is you have uh the msg is faking the umami from a dashi uh-huh. so that's fake and then you you have noodle factories making noodles which is it's like fake you know, in the old days where the soba master is hand rolling the noodles. Well, now you have these, these giant industrial machines churning out a thousand servings of noodles an hour. So you're faking, you're faking these handmade noodles. Mm-hmm. And then you're putting a little tiny slice of chashu on top. So you're faking <laughs> like, oh, no, we're serving you meat. Eh, you're yeah, getting a little, yeah. little meat. So it's generally like this, it's this fake cuisine. And it's only in recent years where people have kind of been like okay let's replace all these all this sort of fakeness with the original thing that is meant to mimic let's make our own dashis let's make our own noodles let's let's go premium with the toppings i've never thought about that but you know now that you're saying all of this stuff like cup ramen was like a culture phenomenon in japan long before the kodawari bowls and it was like yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It really was like a fake food, you know, for like a long time where 
Mm, that's really interesting. Never thought about that. Yeah, it's food for thought, especially now that you know people obsess over ingredients and you know with the rise of Instagram and kind of everyone being a foodie, like uh-huh. that's that's a big thing. And I'm guilty of it too. You know, on my blog, what can I write about ramen? 1300 times you know and i look for these little details at shops i look for are they using some specialty ingredients uh you know is there something about the atmosphere of the shop that's interesting is is there something about the chef that's interesting you know i need to look for these points or else it's just you know another another tasty bowl mm-hmm. can we talk about like you know you mentioned it earlier the tours i actually had a question about this and i didn't really know what he was talking about but i think you'll probably know more than me so well, the, well, this is a two-part question. So one is, what's the best ramen in Japan, in your opinion, right now? This is from Dimitri Bear, I think. And also, like, he, he wants to know about the tours, hungry tours or something. What do you think about hungry tours? And so, right, <laughs> I guess, whatever, however you want to go into those things. That's funny. Um, okay, I don't... <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh... Oh my god. <laughs> well, I, I have no idea what these things are, so I'm sorry if it's like offensive exactly. questions, but you know. Um, so there's I'll go on a, a little tight tangent for a second. Okay. So there in the foodie community, huh. there's uh, a lot of drama. Oh, in the foodie community? The foodie community. Not necessarily the ramen community, but mm-hmm. the food community. So I mean, imagine, you know, you have all these people who they go to fine dining restaurants every day and, you know, they have unlimited money and all they do is eat delicious food. And, you know, a lot of them deem themselves food experts. And, you know, you can imagine that there's some some tension between independently wealthy um, foodies. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, yeah, so that comment is basically someone trolling someone else. Oh, okay, okay, (laughs) okay. Feel free to rephrase it. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, no. So what but I mean, what about like the best ramen in Japan? Like is there is that a valid question or was that part of the trolling kind of thing? Um <laughs> Okay, you don't yeah. have to answer that. <laughs> no, actually, that that's something I can get I can get on board with. Okay. okay. Trolling is you know, there's sort of especially on Instagram, there's this thing with food where it's like this is the best of this particular thing in the world. Oh yeah. I've seen some things like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is the best. And a lot of people just, you know, they put these superlatives around food. Like this is the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, you have all these rankings, right? Mm -hmm. It's a big, it's a big controversial thing in the food world. World's 50 best Michelin guide. Yeah. 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 You know, you have one of the best and it's, it's controversial. You know, I made I actually made a list last year of the definitive five best ramen shops in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And the way I did my math was that I took all the different best of lists and sort of like compared them to each other and and then came up with these five that everyone can agree with Uh are the best. And even when I posted that, people were like, this list sucks, man. It doesn't doesn't include, uh, it was like, all right, whatever. Uh... Yeah, that's kind of there, that's there really lot, interesting. Yeah, a lot of people really hate these sort of best of lists. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did to kind of 
because I've actually, you know, I've written best of lists for quite a few publications and mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the nature of the game. Like you're going to be asked to write best of lists. What I did was I made this dedicated website called best of ramen, mm -hmm. best of ramen.com. And that's where I put my best of lists. But for my list, I essentially, every year I go through all the bowls that I wrote about that year uh -huh. and I choose my. Of course, it's like your own personal list, right? So it's like, you're So not it's a... not like, you know, my best of Tokyo, best ramen in Tokyo 2018. It's not necessarily the ones that I think are the best, but it's that year of the shops that I went to for the first time that I thought were stellar in Tokyo. And so, yeah, if people want a best of list, I definitely encourage them to go to this site and just have a look. And I think it's pretty well laid out. And, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll put it, we'll put it all in the show notes, you know, like that and all of your other things that you're working on. Mike, uh, so let's, I guess we're kind of getting up in the hour so we can kind of go through a couple more questions. Um, so ramen over, Mike asks, what is, what is your favorite? Oh, was that? Well, if you give me just a second, um, I'll check what time I have to leave, actually. Okay. So, then uh, I actually have a, I have a ramen tour today, so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so, like, that's what, that's what I wanted you to talk about. But I guess the way that that person phrased the question was more trolly than inquisitive. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> like, but you're doing some kind of tours, right? Ramen tours and things like that? Yeah. Like, can we talk about yeah. that? Like, what, what you're doing sure. with that? Let me just uh, check yeah, yeah. my... Check my route on Google, I'm meeting them there from my home. Always arrive early. And, oh, okay, oh my, oh. Oh, it's super easy. I got, I got another hour. Well, I, oh, another, wow. well, I have to leave my door, so. Yeah, All right, yeah, we're yeah. Good. Okay, yeah, uh, so like you're doing yeah. ramen tours, like could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so you know, I did that thing with the writer from the New York Times mm -hmm. with Matt Grove. And I was kind of taking him to all these ramen shops during that week. I think we met up on three different occasions during the week and I took him to different shops. Oh, so and, these are not like public tours. They're like private tours for like an individual or Well, at the time, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. I sort of brought this guy around. Okay. And it was really fun because I could go back to some of my favorite shops and show them mm -hmm. and then after that article i got some interest from like restaurateurs and other media people they're saying hey we're coming to japan can you take us around mm -hmm. so yeah i started doing that and it was super fun every time so basically i started offering private ramen tours out here and i was just doing that through my website basically i was offering uh, two shop tours i was offering three shop tours as well but every single one was kind of a failure because everyone thinks they can eat three bowls of ramen but <laughs> back yeah, to back yeah. back, not not happening uh, so i, I kind of came i kind of made this format of we'll go to two different shops we'll go to something light something heavy two will be about two hours and yeah you know we'll talk about ramen we'll uh We'll see what's going on. I'll take you to some cool shops. Let's uh, let's have a good time. And how big and are the I, groups that that you you're taking around now? Is it like five people, ten people? Well, I prefer to do private tours. Okay. 
Um, I, for a brief time, I worked with, uh, what was it? Airbnb had this sort of tour, the experiences thing yeah. they started. I did that briefly and it's, let's just say it's not my style to mm-hmm. deal with a group of six different strangers who may or may not get along with each other and may or may not, uh, you know, actually be into what they're doing. So, you know, now I still only do the private tours, but, you know, I work with some tour companies. They send clients my way. What, what is it um, generally like chefs now that are doing these private tours or is it like a... No, no, no. I think it's a big part of tourism in general now is to join kind of walking tours, especially food tours. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of food, like specifically food tour companies mm-hmm. in Tokyo alone that have just popped up in the last few oh. years. A lot of them do like half day foodie crawls where you essentially try like six or seven different kinds of Japanese street food, something like that. Or, you know, there's someone like me just going for ramen. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do other tours where I'll bring you to ramen and then we'll go to like an izakaya or ramen and yakitori. So that for some reason makes sense to me because it's kind of like the Instagram food tour. Basically, you're taking them to places where they can take pictures for Instagram oh. to show people. <laughs> where they've been kind of like that oh, there's a ton of these that you know it's like get all your foodie shots in one day yeah 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 going this tour what is it called insta buy you know insta buy tour <laughs> yep, there's a lot of insta buy food in Tokyo <laughs> in <Yeah>. Japan <laughs> so so Mike uh, ramen lord wanted to know what yeah. style of ramen do you actually enjoy the most and what about what style of ramen do you enjoy the least Um, you know, the one I enjoy the most and the least is miso ramen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dagger both, right, right at Mike's both, heart. No, the, uh, Michael get it. The, uh-huh. the reason is that if I have a really good bowl of miso ramen, uh-huh. it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's nothing, you know, you have a lot of leeway when it comes with, the more refined styles or the more fatty styles. Mm -hmm. But with miso, like if it's off, it's off, which for me, if a bowl of miso isn't incredible, I'm not into it. Whereas Mm -hmm. a bowl of like refined shoyu ramen, if it's not incredible, it can still be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It can still be great. Maybe it's not, you know, top 10 level, but it's still good. Yeah. For me with miso, if it's not incredible, it's I'm not into it. Oh, that's so interesting. Like I never thought about it because I haven't really had as much miso ramen as you and Mike, but to have such a binary outcome, you know, like it's either fantastic or terrible. Yeah. You don't really see that with other things, especially like, you know, you can hide behind a lot of tonkotsus that the broth can, you know, it's pretty hard to like, you know, make a bad I mean it's possible. I've done it, but people in Japan who know what they're doing, it seems pretty hard for them to mess up a tonkotsu if they have a good tare and stuff. Sure, sure. But yeah, yeah. I, mean, I never thought about miso ramen being such a binary outcome thing where it's like fantastic or terrible. But I guess I could, I could easily see that being true because you could, and on one hand, you could just end up having miso soup with noodles in it. And on the other, on the other hand, you could end up having something like life-changing, you know, so. Yeah, I, uh, every time I have a great bowl of miso, it's just, it's really like really something special. 
do you do you um know any shops off the top of your head like a, that you've had recently which was like like a really good bowl of miso ramen uh, i finally made it to this one called oshima mm -hmm. out on the sort of east side of tokyo and they're like a descendant from uh, sumire up in hokkaido okay yeah yeah but then they kind of do their own thing down here and it was uh, it was it was bomb it was super good oh. i mean it's one of these shops where even on a weekday if you you show up an hour before they open and there's already 20 people in line and so you know it's one of these ridiculous lines but yeah for me incredible that's that's really cool that's really cool have have you done much um ramen tasting outside of japan yeah a lot like what like or well i guess i have a question from it's laps bro about uh -huh. what's your most mem memorable ramen experiences in the u.s and how close is it to the quality of japan uh, most memorable in the States, you know, I was super happy last year in November, I made it to New York and I finally got to eat at ramen shack mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah, it lived up to all expectations. It oh, was just so cool. incredible, you know, really like this is a bowl. This is like a Tokyo show you ramen. This is, this is good. Everything's on point. Um, yeah. And then, you know, one month later, he announced that they were closing. And uh -huh. now I guess they're going to reopen in 2020, but you know, I never know. With, that's so, with, that's so crazy to think because you were hanging out with Keizo before he became the ramen burger guy, you know, and he became like this kind of like pop culture phenomenon. And as far as like the people for ramen nerds, he's like the hero for so many people who are trying to make ramen in America. Like, do you have any stories of like what it was like with him, you know, like when he came to Japan and his come up? Well, you know, he was, he was, I was always like, I don't want to say admired, but I was always confused by how hard he worked mm -hmm. out here. I remember he was working at this place, Bossa Nova. Uh -huh. And watched uh, the, there was like a ramen walker with Bossa Nova and he's in it. I watched that on YouTube. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They did one back in the day. Um, he was working there and man, he worked so hard and you know, they would make this, this green curry paste uh -huh. for green curry uh, ramen, which was kind of their, their signature dish there. And he would be there with one of these wooden paddles, like stirring this pot of, of vegetables and spices mm -hmm. for hours and hours. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Just hit it with a, hit it with a stick blender, man. Like, <laughs> like this is unnecessary extra work. But that's what that's what elevates a lot of these things to to this next level is that just this passion and and hard work and you know I mean yeah you can't really achieve the same thing with with shortcuts mm -hmm. um, and he used to work from uh, six in the morning till <laughs> four a.m. at night man and and then we go out drinking after and. <laughs> Uh, it was a fun time. Man. It was super fun. So, what was that like? That experience. So, you you know that he opened the ramen shack, and then you go to ramen shack. You're finally there. Were you like a little bit nervous? Like, oh my god, I hope I hope it's good because it's kind of like my friend. <laughs> was it kind of like that kind of feeling, or was it like, oh no, I know, I already know because I've tasted his stuff in Japan that it's going to be just as good, if not, you know? What was your expectations going into ramen shack that first time? I already knew it was going to be good, uh -huh. and. Uh, you know, I'd had his 
his show you ramen before so i knew uh-huh. it was going to be something good uh i really wanted to try a couple ones that he was making he was doing one i think it was called the dirty show you mm-hmm. where he was using leftover i want to say like leftover niboshi mm-hmm from making certain oils or things and he was grinding it down, adding it in. So it was kind of like a, like a shoyu ramen with, with sort of a niboshi powder spice added in and had a lot of, had a lot of chunk going on in there. And I was kind of curious how that tasted. You know, there's a lot of, I think niboshi is the one ingredient that is the most difficult overseas to deal with. I don't want to say to get because you can get it, but just it's so easy in Japan. You have access to like a hundred different kinds of niboshi from all over Japan, all different kinds of dried fish, um, specifically prepared different ways. And then, you know, you go to somewhere like France and they have a complete ban on importing fish from Japan. Oh, why, why is that? Uh, some Fukushima thing. Oh. <laughs> so now, like, if you have a ramen shop in France, you have to buy Korean niboshi. And the Korean niboshi for export, there's like one or two different kinds. And mm-hmm. they're too small. They have no oils in them. And, you know, it's just for chefs, a lot of them have told me it's, it's like, it's tough. And they come to Japan and it's, you can get literally anything you want. Is just there yeah and cheap that's cool and, and you also add that that um i saw that video where you were in new york you also ate at ivan's place too right or something oh. like did you eat at ivan's place ivan yeah Ryan, yeah when you're there I had, and so how was what it, how was that experience too like was it the first time you ate at his new york restaurant or had you eaten there before or i've been there a few times oh, okay okay so it wasn't I've the been, first time your I've first been experience three times to his new york shop mm-hmm yeah it's good you know i like his shop in new york it has this incredible uh beer program like so many cool beers like in bottles and and on tap mm-hmm. and then all these really fun like appetizers and stuff so it's super cool but it's so different than his shop in tokyo i really miss this little hole in the wall at this kind of shit station uh, <laughs> Roka Koa, I mean, it's not a shit station, whatever, but it's yeah, uh, not one people go to, you know, like, you know, they don't, they don't yeah. think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to head out there. Yeah. Well, you'd go out there and there'd be a line of, of just Japanese dudes, like That's around so the block, this little, uh, six or seven seat ramen shop. And this guy just making everything, uh, by hand. And, and, oh, it was so cool. You know, just, it's that sort of ramen experience that, I feel like you'll never really get outside of Japan. The why atmosphere. Do you, why do you think that that can't be? I, I, I agree with you, but why do you think that's the case where like that experience couldn't be recreated well, outside of Japan? I mean, tell someone that they have to make a restaurant with only six <laughs> counter seats uh-huh. and then tell them that they only, they can't charge more than $10. <laughs> that's true. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's financially improbable. Mm-hmm. It's rough. I mean, you'd have to, I think the only way to do it would be to make a standing ramen bar where people are not allowed to sit down. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, people in the States, they, uh, they want to sit down and eat and take their time. And 
That's true. Like you said, like the eight minutes in Japan, eight minute time limit is kind of like the accepted time to eat, 10 minute time limit to eat ramen and you're out of there. So they can yeah, do they, high, high turnover for those six seats. But if in America, 15 minutes is mm-hmm. the average turnover in Japan from oh. sitting down to leaving, whereas in the States, it's more like 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in Japan, ramen shops, if you're taking too long, like if you finish your bowl and you're just sitting around, they'll yeah. tell you to leave. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes they won't say it nicely. <laughs> sometimes they'll basically like kick you out if you're, you know, if you pull out your phone and start, you know, replying to Instagram comments and your bowl is more or less finished, like uh-huh. get out. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, it's super rude to just like sit around in a ramen shop and chat. Uh-huh. Whereas uh-huh. in the States, like, come on, like, you know, you know, tell people that they can't sit around and and talk yeah yeah that's true so you know you see a lot of shops in overseas that are more like a restaurant style where uh-huh. they're gonna offer alcohol they're gonna offer snacks you know maybe gyoza in italy every single ramen shop has like a bow <laughs> on the menu yeah. every single one has has like gourmet bow huh and like nobody comes to the ramen shop without getting uh out getting the gourmet bow it's interesting yeah uh, yeah and in the end you know you got to make money and so if your customers are spending an hour and they only spend ten dollars and there's six of them an hour like that's yeah Yeah. that's impossible so i get it from a business point but Mm -hmm. yeah that kind of get in get out mentality i don't really see that existing outside of, of japan or other asian countries Mm. have you eaten at uh, ramen in other countries like other asian countries yeah where have i been i've been yeah i've been around a little bit there's a huge boom of japanese ramen in southeast asia oh yeah like i on my youtube channel i get a bunch of people watching from like the philippines and yeah malaysia and stuff yeah i think a lot of it is that for chefs in Japan, they feel more comfortable opening up a shop in Asia mm-hmm. because they know that there's already a soup noodle culture. Mm-hmm. They know they can more easily get the right ingredients that they want. And also, you know, it's a, it's a four hour flight as opposed to, you know, a 12 hour flight. Yeah. Yeah. Get out there. So there's been a lot more, uh, a bit more of a boom and also, you know, in Asia, China especially, Japan is seen as this pinnacle of like luxury. Oh, really? So almost, I didn't know that most, I didn't know that that's what, that was the case for, for like. Oh, absolutely. Uh, huh. So almost every new luxury department store, uh-huh. especially, you know, like you go to Shanghai, Beijing, any of these new luxury department stores, almost always they'll have an entire floor of like Japanese food court. Huh. Interesting. And you'll go to these and there'll be like three or four different famous ramen shops from Japan will have a branch opened out there. Wow. Never thought about that. How how is like I I I know I'm watching the time for you, so I don't want to keep you too long. So if we have to if you have to go, just let me know. But I'm really curious about the um like the ramen chains in Japan, you know, like how do they maintain their quality or do they not maintain their quality as they expand out from their honten, you know, like what is, have you noticed, like, or what can you tell us about that, I guess? 
what do you mean by chain? Because you know, like, um, or not a chain, but you know, like a like. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I know they're out there. Like you know, like or we'll just say like Ipudo, for example, is like a chain, right? Like they had like right. a one shop, and then they started opening up shops all over the the country. Um, yeah, Ipudo. You know, I don't know the business structure exactly, uh-huh. but a lot of these big chains like that, you know, it's a sort of a franchise system. Mm-hmm. I think Ipudo retains more control than other franchise companies, but I'm not sure of the details. Mm-hmm. Have you um, but seen when it, the quality, you know, like, is the quality consistent throughout the whole chain? Like, every single store is the same, like a McDonald's here? Like, you know, you know what you're going to get and you get it? Or is it kind of like... Yeah, stuff like that, very consistent. Oh, okay. Like the, yeah, everything is very, very consistent. Uh, you know, Ichiran, like, they pride mm-hmm. themselves on consistency. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, other... Other shops in Tokyo, like they're kind of making sort of a network, I guess. Like Mensho is an example. Mensho has opened, I think, seven shops in Tokyo and two overseas, one in San Francisco, one in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. And the ones within Tokyo, most of them, they make their own soup at the spot, but they did open a, they opened an outpost in a big food court in Kawasaki. And in that case, they're making the soup at their central kitchen up in central Tokyo and then driving it down every day. But they're still, I mean, it's still very much like connected in that terms. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I'm, I really don't go to a lot of shops that could be classified as a, as a chain. Oh, I see. Guys, for that example, uh, it's, just something that I don't know. Like if you have, you know, some college part-time kid like serving new ramen, it's just <laughs> it's kind of loses. It loses a lot of meaning and interest, and I don't know. I'm kind of going for these unique experiences. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like the the seventy year old man who doesn't measure anything kind of shops are yeah. much more interesting. Yeah. Very cool, man. I, I think we can wrap up here. I mean, I know that you have to do your tour, but could you, could you tell everybody like where they can find you online? I'm, I'm sure everybody who listens to this probably already knows who you are, but you know, your websites and your tour and your Instagram and your YouTube channel and whatever you got online. Sure. Well, I'm ramenadventures.com. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the blog where I write. Uh, my pace is two, two posts a week. I've been slacking recently, but I'll get caught up now that I have some free time. Uh, Ramen Adventures on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Ramen Adventures on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel. Uh, let's see. I do have a, I have a cookbook out called Ramen at Home. You can pick that up on Amazon. We just, I just uh, helped with a new book. It's a collaboration between Ramen Walker magazine and TripAdvisor, actually. And it's called Best of the Best Ramen. And it's unfortunately not available outside of Japan yet. But I'll give you a link. So on my website, I can offer to send people copies of it. Okay, cool. But this is actually a Best of Japan Ramen guidebook in five different languages. 
Oh, nice. Both Japanese, English, Korean, Chinese, both simplified and traditional. And it's dope. I mean, it's, it covers the entire country with these sort of shops that Robin Walker magazine dubbed as, you know, their best, the best or hall of fame ramen shops. Mm. So it's kind of a, I think it'll be a cool resource for people who come over here, especially if they're planning to sort of get out of Tokyo and delve into the ramen scene. <laughs> Very cool. But yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at online. You know, you can contact me through any of those if you want to do tours or if you're interested in ramen schools or, you know, whatever I'm, I'm available. I'm pretty chill. I live a pretty chill life out here in Japan. Awesome. Awesome. You got any plans for 2020? Like any big, any big goals or anything? Ooh, 2020. Um, man, I don't even know. Like, I usually get out of Japan in the summer because it's so hot. Yeah. It's like yeah. 40 degrees Celsius and 100% humidity. Yeah. But with the Olympics here, I might try and capitalize on that somehow. I mean, everyone's trying to think what to do during that. <laughs> but yeah, 2020, I don't know. I actually just finished... I had this best 50 ramen shops in Japan list from, from like 2015, I think. And I just finished it. <laughs> so, you know, these lists are, they're hard, man. I mean, some yeah. of these shops in Kyushu, they're open like three days a week between the hours of 11 and one. And then they also just close randomly all the time. <laughs> so Sounds like uh, Hawaii make, shops, shops in yeah, Hawaii. Right. Yeah. Same mentality. Yeah, so yeah. I finally finished this list and then this, uh, this book that I helped with came out. I think it has 200 shops in it around Japan. So I went through and marked the ones I haven't been to. And it's uh, way too many shops in the deep countryside of Japan that I got to go to. So I think I'm going to try to try and finish that. Try and crack those off the list. I'm working on a couple ramen projects as well, but you know, I'll announce those when they're actually actually going to get released so very we'll cool well hopefully we can get you on the podcast again when you're ready to release those and you can talk about those yeah, man. Again. yeah. Sure. all right man thank you very much and uh we'll right. talk to you all again soon yeah man talk to you soon thank you so much to brian for coming on the show he's truly one of the legends of the ramen community and it's still rather mind-blowing to me that he agreed to come on the podcast Please give him a follow on Instagram if you aren't already doing so, at Ramen Adventures, and go check out his blog and his YouTube channel. You know, he has content going back almost a decade, or actually over a decade now, because it's going to be 2020 in a day or so. I'll have all the things that he talked about in the episode linked in the show notes, so please feel free to check those out as well. If you have any suggestions for future guests, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or YouTube, or actually what you could do is you could leave a comment on any of my posts and tag the person that you want to see in the show in that comment that's actually how we got brian to come on so yeah you can do that too this will be the last show for 2019 it's been a blast so far i can't believe how much people are listening to this show it's kind of mind-blowing to me thank you all so much for listening 2020 is going to be bananas all right i hope you guys have a happy new year and safe new year and i'll see you all in 2020 peace <laughs>